brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Is an unspoiled network podcast. This is Spoil Me, covering the Veiled Throne, chapters eight and nine, the Shadow Play and the Barnacle and the Whale. In these chapters, Princess Thera has a plan. I love that for her. But then she learns a lesson that we all must learn, or not, in my case. Things never go as planned. They just don't. And you've got to figure out how to come to peace with that. Welcome to Spoil Me. Welcome to the show, everyone. I am Natasha. Thank you very much to Max for commissioning this. Or no, sorry, Max. Max is later. Thank you to Kyle for commissioning this episode. Sorry, Kyle. All credit to Kyle. Um, I went back and re-listened to pretty much all of the second half of Wall of Storms. So I am refreshed remembering a lot of what happened, dots are being connected, I feel a lot better now. Um, and I just wanted to mention that if you are sort of on the fence about whether it's worth it to go back, I say yes, because I knew that I was forgetting a lot. And to be honest, I had forgotten even more than I thought. There is so much to that book. It is intricate. So I just really, if you... Uh, if you are feeling at all like things are sort of leaving you at a loss, I really do think going back will help and you won't regret it because the book is just so goddamn good. Um, and I can't get over guys. I, so I won't say that this is like a flaw of that book because I'm not entirely certain if it is or not, but Empress Gia I, I remain unconvinced that what she does in that book is in character. And I don't know why, but I had it in my head that she died at the end of it. And she does not. She is still around. So I foresee that we will run into her in this book at some point. And I'm distressed at the fact that I feel like she turned a corner and is just not somebody that I like... I just feel like everybody else, their character development has followed a trajectory that felt really understandable to me. And I would like for a character whose trajectory doesn't feel natural to be out of the picture after one book, you know? So I feel a little bit saddened, I think, that she goes so left and really just like commits treason left and right. 
but she's still here. And I don't really think that that works in retrospect as well, that the book is so good. And what Gia does is instrumental in things like going the way that they do. But her being the one behind it all felt very sudden and unnatural to me. So I'm a little bit worried about what's coming with her in the future, because I just don't love that. And it's really the only thing in these books that bothers me. And I feel like isn't going, there's no real way at this point after everything to, um, what's the word I want to sort of like justify it, if that makes sense. So I know that this is not a Wall of Storms podcast, and I don't want to dwell on it too long. But I just wanted to mention the reread and what I got from it. Because I think when I was first reading Wall of Storms, and I realized like what was happening with Gia's character, I was sort of like taking it on faith that it would eventually be explained more why she goes as left as she does. And it doesn't ever really happen. And so I kept on like having faith because this author has been so good about making things make sense in the past that I just really trusted I would get a flashback of some kind, some kind of explanation to show the moment when she really decided, oh, we have to figure out a different way for this government to function because what's going on is not going to work. And we never get that. And looking back and knowing now that we never get that her change of character and it feels like a change to me is even more stark so that's the only thing i'm just gonna put that out there that i feel like on a reread that holds up less well um your mileage and opinion may vary it's fine so okay back to this book we are with, um, at the start of this, we are with some new Lyuku who are not really doing super well. Um, so we've got Toof and Radia. And they have fallen out of favor with the Lyuku, or not with the Lyuku, with the Thane. Um, so <laughs> we start off with Pecutenryo, um, had warned his thanes repeatedly not to underestimate the Dara. They were weak and morally corrupt, but they had a kind of cowardly craftiness that led to the invention of fanciful engines and elaborate plots. Which, um, I always enjoyed this. This is a, uh, consistent thing among peoples all over, is that you will say that these people are like cowardly and you will say that they have like um, a fucked up like value system, but that they have a sort of intelligence that's real sneaky. And that's always the way that it is framed, you know, like just pick somebody, anybody in history. And there is somebody that they would have been describing this way. Um, so Naku Kitansli ordered lookouts to keep the Dara fleet under constant observation. Um, and Raja is awake, but Toof is asleep, and they are up in this crow's nest on one of the ships, and there is no uh, railing on it. And I know this really shouldn't be like the focus for me, but as somebody who's got a fear of heights, the fact that Raja jabs him in the elbow and he almost rolls off is just so not funny to me. <laughs> it's just not. Raja fucked up. She wasn't worried about Tooth tumbling to his death. Above the platform of the crow's nest were four large horizontal iron hoops arranged around the mast like the petals of a flower. Tooth, like Raja, was standing in one of these hoops and secured to it by a harness. Okay, cool. Don't care. Not, just don't, it won't make a difference. I went ziplining and for some reason, ziplining was not a big deal for me. But then I did like one of those sort of um, 
rope courses where you have to like climb a tree 20 feet into the air and then walk slowly to the end of a two by four and leap from the end of the two by four to a trapeze that's like four feet away. Far enough that there's no way you're leaning out to grab it. And there's a net under you and you are like in a harness. It's perfectly safe. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I just completely froze up. It was like there was just a scream in my head that I could not hear any reason through. So yeah, this just got to me a little bit. Um, so Thane Naku had been so displeased by the crew's performance during Tana's aborted attack on the Dara fleet that they had been stripped of the privilege of riding Garinifins. Um And they are also being like, this is basically an assignment going up into the crow's nest. Um, it's like kind of lowly work. And at one point she says something about how like, well, do you want to be treated like one of the slaves? And he's like, well, at least the slaves would be able to see the Garinifin. And he says something about Tana, who is uh, the Garinifin that Tooth is sort of attached to. Um, Naku blamed Tooth's crew for Tana's, quote, cowardice and had assigned other pilots to take over the care and feeding of the Garinifin. So this is the same, this is the the um Dara fleet like the with Thera that they attempted to fly the Garinifin at, but Thera came up with this genius idea of painting kites to look like tigers basically and scare them away. Um and it's mentioned here that Pecutenrio had tried to break the bond between Garinifins and their riders because it makes it less efficient if the Garinifin will only fly with a particular rider and that rider is injured or killed and they need to use the Garinifin, but it won't work with anybody else. So what Pecutenrio's idea was, is to treat them like slaves also. And the Garinifin will then therefore be broken and at the disposal of any rider who needs to use them, which um, going back and reading about that in the Wall of Storms book and seeing the difference in the way the Garinifin are treated is just so awful. It's the kind of thing that like, um, again, and I've said this before, Pecutenrio is a smart leader. He is efficient. He is really good at pinpointing the weak spots in why certain things are not as flexible as they could be. But in doing that, the everything loses any sense of humanity that it had. And honestly, that is really just sort of the reality for making anything more efficient. A lot of the time, peak efficiency means a complete lack of like compassion, really, you know, and that's, that's capitalism also. Um, so they're looking at the fleet. It's a uh, miles away, a billowing rectangular piece of white cloth, at least a hundred feet tall and several times as long hung between the main masts of the two ships at the ends of the columns. The massive screen hid the rest of the fleet from view. And they are like, what is this? Like, is that a sail that feels like it would cause them to crash together i don't it, it's not going to speed things up it'll slow them down what's going on i'll tell you what guys i had no idea i was really trying to figure this out because she's crafty there is crafty so i'm like okay this is another cool idea but the idea that it was going to be basically like a movie never entered my head because why would it and she's really smart i love her so much so um they begin the uh, the uh, with a garinifin that is flying over the city and attacking it. Jellyfish with feathery tentacles appeared above the city and attacked the garinifin with flame tongues of of their own, forcing it to retreat. Back and forth, two sides fought an epic war. As the sky darkened and the first stars peeked out, the screen somehow glowed even brighter. A shining rectangle of light over the wine dark sea, compelling everyone's attention. The protagonists of the drama, made out of simple geometric shadows, crude, flat, 
and largely uncolored save for, save for dabs of bright accents, seem to take on lives of their own that were every bit as momentous as life in this sol solid realm. I don't know how that's done with points of bright accents. I assume that this is like a bright, brightly colored lantern being directed in certain spots, but it is obvious in retrospect, this is meant to be a huge distraction. It didn't like, because guys, I'm easily distracted. Look, this is one of those things where you have to take a moment and be like, wow, this would have worked on me. You know, I cannot tell you all how many properties I have covered where there is something that is meant to just be a distraction. Oh, everybody look over here. And I, even as a viewer, knowing that there are some people that are about to do something shady. So I should be more prepared than anybody for the, this like extremely obvious distraction. I still fall for it. I forget completely about the thing that we're meant to be here for. And I just go, oh my God, did he just punch that guy? Why did he punch that guy? It's not even, uh, I, I would not be good on these sorts of trips. I feel like I don't have the, the kind of like presence of mind if I'm going to be at the mercy of people who think like they're a, I just, it's not, it's not for me. So, um, 10 yards behind the massive screen, thick cables stretched between the masts of dandelion seed and drifting lotus, forming a complex web of rope bridges and bamboo planked, pla bamboo planked platforms. That's so hard to say. Teams composed of the strongest men and women from the crews of all 10 ships scrambled over these catwalks, manipulating long bamboo poles attached to giant shadow puppets, modified kites against the screen. In order to balance the two ships, almost everything heavy had been moved to the outer sides of the two ships. Even the anchors had been shifted to one side and draped over the gunwales. On the forecastles, roaring fires danced merrily from thick hemp wicks dipped into barrels of whale oil. As much as Camming loved whales, nothing else provided a fire as bright. Which, um, that is something that I'm, I do believe I have never actually seen a whale oil fire because I'm pretty sure that's like illegal these days. I'm very curious about it though, you know, cause that was a really common fuel source once upon a time. Um, polished bronze mirrors arranged in parabolic formation reflected the light back onto the screen, providing necessary illumination to cast strong shadows for the puppet show. So we're returning here to, I, I was reading a review of Wall of Storms recently that described these books as silk punk instead of like steampunk, um, which honestly I kind of love. And this is a great example. It's just the kind of thing that would this actually practically work if attempted? I don't know. Does it sound like it would absolutely work. Yes, it does. And that is all I care about. If you are convincing, I am willing to just accept it. And Lord knows, I don't really truck much with physics and science in that way. Like, I don't know anything about it. So far be it for me to be like, I don't think that this would act. Just, sure, it would work. It's fine. A group of senior advisors and officers stood on the elevated stern deck um, with Takval and Thera in the middle, gazing over the towering screen that hid them from Liuku's sight. From this vantage point, they could discern every detail of the bustling, organized chaos that made the shadow play possible. And Thera is watching this, and everybody has rehearsed this a lot, but nevertheless, they are not perfectly coordinated. And so people are running into each other. There are still some things that are not like in sync enough. And it says to avoid giving away the scheme, the players couldn't even rehearse with the real screen, but had to make do with the sails of ships near the front of the fleet during the day only hidden by the sails of the ships behind them. And they, unlike those entrusted with other parts of the complex plan, at least had the luxury of rehearsals. And I love this so much. I just really relate to Thera in some ways with the way that she thinks. And this 
like cringe that she has with the way that things aren't exactly correct. It doesn't matter, Thera. These Lyuku are absolutely blown away by what you're doing. You do not have to be perfect for them to be distracted. But she just, she likes for things to be properly, properly done. I can relate to that. Doesn't matter. There's so much about the attitude of perfection is the enemy of good that I wish I could internalize more and I'm working on it, but it is a slow process, my friends. Um, so there's nothing like this among the Aegon or Lyuku, marveled Takval, who was standing next to her. He was grinning like a kid at his first experience with the theater. Our shamans will love this art. And Thera is reflecting about how her and her siblings used to sneak out to watch this and how the older she gets, the sweeter the memories become. And he puts a hand on her back and is like, I'm really sorry that you've sacrificed so much, but I'll try and be there for you. And my people will try and be there for you. And it says the warmth of Takval's hand was comforting, but she wasn't quite ready to be comforted. And I like that line because it's a really, it gets to the heart of it when you're feeling this way, when you're grieving and you understand somebody means well, and you don't want to reject their well-intentioned comfort and, and offer of support, but it's not the right time. And it's not about them. The reason that you feel like you're not ready isn't because they aren't doing it correctly. You aren't ready for it yet. And that's different. And sometimes it's really hard to, to like verbalize that that's what's going on without offending the person who is attempting it, you know, but she wasn't quite ready to be comforted. I feel like I'm going to remember that and just use it at some point, you know, I'm not ready to be comforted. Thank you. But just, can you just take a step back kind of thing, you know? Um, and she's thinking about her siblings here and how she based some of the shadow puppets about um, on their personalities and wondering if she's ever going to see them again. And then she thinks about Zomi and is just like, am I going to be able to like make it without the people that I love that have meant so much to me and who gave me like the motivation to live so many times. Um, so this is, this may be my favorite music from Dara. Um, they start this like drum beat and are you sure they can hear this all the way back there on the city ship? I hope we aren't going to a lot of trouble for nothing. Don't worry, said Kami. Sound carries well over water, even more so at sundown. It's well known to old whalers that the best time to pass messages from ship to ship by talking trumpets is at dawn and dusk, though I don't know exactly why it works. And Thera starts wondering about whether it's the temperature of the air, and the air being cooler means that it's easier to rebound the sound. And can I just say, as somebody who has just said, I do not know anything about fucking science and physics. When he, when Kami says I, 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 that this is the way that they do it, and it's well, my brain immediately was like, what? Why? Never came up with this theory that Thera immediately goes to. Thera is so fucking good at applying what she's learned from one area. Cause like the last book, she's learning about the waves of light and the way that the mirror works. If you remember, um, because they have that mirror that looks like a miracle telling them that Kuniguru must die. And she is visited by a God who explains light waves and the way that they can be manipulated. And I, love that Thera is like, maybe sound works that way as well. And just, she's fucking really, she's on it, man. Quick mind. Um, so she says, uh, inform Admiral Michu Rosso on drifting Lotus via flag signals that he has the command of the fleet, lower the masts and secure the hatches, prepare to die. And, 
I love this so much. Radia, back on the other ship, is watching this whole saga. And she is so delighted and really into the story and is just yelling like, you have to fight. What are you doing? Everybody has come up from below decks in order to watch this. And they're all wondering, why are they making this giant show for us? At one point, somebody thinks about it being like a plea for mercy because the they say something about how like we even know that sheep will lay down and bleat for mercy when they feel a wolf behind them, which is that true? Because that sounds like the kind of thing that's a figure of speech, but everybody sort of nods and agrees like they know that's a thing. And I was like, not sure if they meant it literally or if it was a figure of speech with just like the sheep being the weak people, you know? Um, and Naku is like the only one that seems truly aware there is something else going on here, but he can't understand what it could be. He says, tell everyone to get below decks, except the sailors on watch. Um, Votan, I don't know if that's such a good idea. The warriors haven't had anything to entertain them in a long while and morale is low. And he stops and thinks, and then he is like, <sighs> and he looks around. Everybody does seem like excited and happy. And he's like, all right, you know what? These Dara people, they are fucking pussies. I bet this is just flattery that they're trying to like make us feel like they're, you know, giving up with good grace or something. So he lets everybody have Kyofir and he lets everybody have uh, what amounts to basically weed. It's Toliusa. It's a hallucinogenic drug. Um, or I don't know if it's hallucinogenic, but it's certainly like altering. Tuf and Radia are not given any because they are out of favor. And everybody, I love that at one point Radia tries to breathe the smoke that's being exhaled near her. I could not stop laughing. That was so funny to me. <laughs> so pitiful, you know? Um, and Toof says, it's unbelievable how much I'm feeling for these shadows. This must be some kind of witchcraft. Nah, said Radia, in your case, it's just because you care about Garinifins, even ones made of shadows, more than you care about people. And Toof is just like, hmm, maybe. He's like aware that that is a thing with him. Um, so this begins the like kind of turn in the tide here because everybody is getting drunk and stoned and because they aren't used to this sort of show, it's working them up a lot more than anybody could have predicted. Like it's having this effect on Toof, who is stone cold sober. So only imagine what it's like for people who this is the sort of thing that that happens in temples and stuff as well. They will burn things that are like a little bit mind altering and they will have really strong tricks of light and shadow and they will bring people into a frenzy um, because of the combination of touching emotionally with a drug and then everything feeling sort of enhanced um, because they actually are going into showmanship, basically, with the way that they have things set up. And I always find it fascinating learning about the ways that that was handled, because you need people to have faith and believe. And I can see also just really honestly thinking that what you're learning about how to manipulate light and shadow is a gift from the gods, that it is meant to be used this way. It's not trickery. It's purposeful. Um so this is when things start to, <laughs> we go back to Thera. They are going under the surface um, and there is the, this glass that she is looking out through. Um, I wish we could see more. I feel so helpless, unable to move the ship at all. We can't even see the city ship approaching. Maybe I should have scheduled the attempt at dawn rather than dusk. Don't, Doubt yourself, said Takval. I think you were absolutely right. 
that that a daytime attempt would have risked lookout spotting Dissolver of Sorrows. Once a Garinifin has begun to dive, the pilot must commit wholeheartedly to the venture, lest the whole crew tumble to their deaths. And he, can I just say, Tokval is really fucking growing on me. I wasn't sure how I was going to feel about him. Um, I, just a reminder for those who have forgot, because I sure fucking did, Tokval shows up, like, covered in ambergris in... Of like the vomit of a whale because he got swallowed by it when he fell off or no, he jumped off a ship with Garinifin eggs that he had smuggled off the ship. And one of the gods saw what he was doing and was like, I'm gonna help this guy out because he's he's feisty. I like this one. So they have the, the whale swallow him in order to save his life and get him to land and that is how he turns up and manages to like create this alliance i had completely forgotten that that's how that goes and that is so fucking hilarious i just what what a dude what a guy um and she says something about how she wishes she knew for sure she was doing the right thing and he admits I don't know if it feels easier because I've never done this before, but I do know that as a leader, you can't show doubt. This is a thing that I think is true with an asterisk. Showing doubt is different than being receptive to a different idea. So I think showing doubt is fair, but also you have to learn that you don't have to be so immovable in your original concept of how something is or should be that you don't listen to really good advice from people who have a different life experience and may know something better than you. And I think Thera is really learning that in these chapters. She is uh, she's trying to be flexible because she recognizes her own limitations in large part, by the way, because of the way like Zomi treated her when they got together. One of the first things Zomi says to her is basically, I don't want to hear you whine about how your whole life revolves around who you're going to marry because you are so privileged and you don't even try and like embrace the responsibilities that you have in your position. You're trying to be somebody else. So maybe try being who you actually are and looking at that before you complain about all the things you're missing out on. And I feel like that hit her and has stuck. Um, so Tokval, uh goes to join the boarding party while Thera stays below. And Thera is aware as much as she doesn't want him. She's worried about him. She's grown a little bit to care about this kid. It's not like a romantic thing quite yet, but genuinely she seems to see the value in him as a person. And he, she recognizes that if he is going to be a leader, he has to take the lead on this himself. That has to be something they see him doing. So, um, like miners trapped underground watching the air tubes connecting them to the surface, the Marines and Takval stared at the thin bamboo poles in the middle of the conning tower and listened intently for any thumps or scrapes. The engineers in the hold had to maintain the ship's depth ship's depth very carefully. The success of the mission depended on it. Too shallow and Dissolver of Sorrows might be broken apart by the thick prow of the city ship on collision. Too deep and they might miss the city ship altogether. With a muffled thwack that nevertheless seemed deafening in the enclosed space, the bamboo poles in the conning tower began to vibrate, emitting a series of crisp rhythmic snaps. The poles were designed to act like the antenna of a lobster or insect protruding above the conning tower. They slapped against the underwater portion of the city ship's hull and allowed the crew to know when they were directly under the enemy vessel. So that's pretty cool. And this is something that, um, that what's his name? I already forgot his name. I want to say tune, but I know that that's not it. Uh, he feels it tooth. That's right. It's like a tooth. Um, and asks Radia, did you feel that? And Radia did not. And again, Tooth is sober. Radia is also sober. The fact that Radia is sober and didn't feel it, all the others who are not sober 
they're really not going to feel it. You know, like that just seems to me like we're in good hands here. These guys, the, the um, ones from Dara don't know that the others are like using mind altering substances right now. And this feels like it goes right along with their plan, to be honest. Excuse me. So um, they, they reduce their depth coming up underneath the ship. Um, and again, with like the fact that they hadn't been able to rehearse doing this that many times, this is a new thing that they're attempting here, which is super anxiety inducing. Um, with a loud thump that rattled the teeth of the crew and even threw a few sailors who weren't properly braced to the deck, the conning tower struck the bottom of the city ship. Then, as the conning tower slid and bumped along the ship's keel, a series of loud staccato thumps filled their ears. And they're all just like, well, uh, I guess we really have to hope they didn't notice that. And Thera is just like, oh my god, this putting a plan into action and not being able to actually do anything at this point, the only thing I can relate it to, and this is so trivial, but you guys are going to get what I mean. I planned everything for my wedding down to the last detail. And it was the most beautiful wedding I have ever seen. Like I truly, look, I'm just going to take credit. I blew it out of the park. It was fucking amazing. But I had to organize it all and then hand everything over to my planner and just hope that she understood my vision and got it right. And I cannot tell you the anxiety of setting everything into motion, but not actually being able to like participate in the execution of the thing itself. There is just something about it that makes you all the more paranoid about shit going wrong. And so, yeah, this, this whole vibe is just, Thera has done everything she can to ensure this goes as smoothly as it can without them being able to do rehearsals the way that they would ordinarily want to. And she just has to trust that that has been enough. Um, so they ascend and press against the ship um, sharp hooks installed fore and aft of the conning tower's hatch had sunk into the worm-ridden wood at the bottom of the city ship's hull, somewhere to the standard side of the keel. However, the hooks were not designed to hold on for long. The marines in the conning tower sprang into action. For this mission, the top had been modified. Um... Around the lip of the tube were coils of rope that made the ends resemble the sucker at the end of an octopus's tentacle. The tube had some flex in it, so once affixed, the motion of the vessels wouldn't simply wrench it free. As teams of marines cranked their hand wheels, four thick and long screws extended from the top of the conning tower around the short sucker tube bit into the bottom of the city ship and bore in. And I really appreciate the description of it being worm eaten because I often forget that there, that is just like a natural side effect of ships being in water. You have the decay of the waters effect itself and you have the animals that are worming their way in pun intended. And that's worms. There's barnacles. There's all kinds of things that can begin to like crust on. And I, you know, I still picture things like they're like a plastic hull, like a fucking, you know, speedboat or something. So I feel like the idea of just being able to screw into the hull of the ship might have made me go, wow, really? They can just do that? But of course they can. These city ships are really old, by the way. These are like, I think at this point, like 15 years old. They might be even older than that, actually. Um, but yeah, so they attach and the other Marines and Takval say that they are ready. Commander Tho took a breath, reached above her head, and cranked the large central hand wheel that sealed the hatch to the conning tower. As soon as the circular hatch opened, water fell through in torrents, instantly drenching everyone in the conning tower. Um, so they have to pump that water out at the same time to make sure that this place doesn't get fucking filled up. So... No matter how tightly they cranked the screws, it was impossible to form a complete seal. Um, they had to work fast as they could to make the seam 
watertight before the sea overwhelmed their efforts. And this is just, again, the, the fucking courage to take this on. It's really, I don't have it. Maybe if things were different and my city was under attack and, you know, maybe, 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 many maybes. But they are in a ship that they're basically like, we're going to open a giant hole in the top of it. And then we're just going to like do a bunch of things super quick so that we don't drown. Oh, my God. Yikes. So they managed to get it watertight. And everybody is like, this is going a little better than we thought. And I'm like, my God. <laughs> um. Up on the decks, everybody is beginning to really lose their shit. The whole, like, puppet show has begun to be insulting. And people are really getting enraged and starting to, like, feel this this irrational, uh, like, desire for vengeance over what amounts to a movie. Which, I mean, that is a real thing that I have also felt. So I get it. And, uh... I love Naku looking around, realizing how worked up everybody's getting and being like, oh, this might have been a mistake. I maybe shouldn't have let them like smoke and drink with this. And somebody throws like a barrel overboard and then acts like they really did something. And finally, he starts to be like, you guys need to fucking calm down. And somebody yells at him, why did you get picked to be left behind? And it turns out that Naku was born into his position. He didn't fight his way there. And he is very sensitive about the fact that he was left behind. And he doesn't really know why. Like, he's, why is he rear guard? It, he doesn't know if it's like a lack of faith, if it's an outright punishment, is it contempt? And so this person sort of picked his like exact insecurity. And that can really go either way when you do that to somebody. Either they will like become completely irrational and lash out, or they will shut down and like become sort of pliant sometimes, you know, like it's they have they will be cowed by it. Um so is being disciplined and calm and watching with care how you attend intend to avenge our comrades the crew's earlier praise for the Thane had been forgotten like so much seafoam. Thane Naku understood he was facing the most dangerous challenge to his authority on this voyage. And the people who are in charge of security, who are Narus Votan, he tells them, bring the rioters below decks and lock them up without food and water for three days. And they look at him and they're like, there's a moment of them going, do we want to do that? I don't know if we want to listen to you. And then Naku is like, hey, I just want to remind you all, you guys are like the authority here. And if they go up against me, you are not getting out of this alive. They are not going to like put a new Thane in charge, but let you continue to be the server of that Thane they will take you out and install a whole new array of people. So you may want to reconsider mutinying along with them because you're not with them. And they're like, all right, you know what? That makes good sense. And they go ahead and they start fighting against their own people. Um, the deck turned into a battlefield. Thwacks and uh blood begins to spread across the ship and Radia and uh, Toof are up there in the crow's nest looking down and they're just like, this is fucking bananas. What is happening? And I love that even up in the crow's nest, they're not out of the fray. Somebody tries to like come up. They uh, just like the fact that this is all, going this badly this quickly is pretty intense. Radia is just like, yeah, we, oh God, let's get as far away from this as possible. Um, So Radia and Toof descended into the ship away from the tumult and they heard a muffled boom somewhere deep inside the ship. So then we go to chapter nine and this is, we, we are with Talkfall at this point. At one point later, we get a bit of a flashback. But right now we are with Takval. He is in the city ship and he is telling all clear 
to all of them. They have managed to get inside. Um, uh, let's see. Boop, boop, boop. Other members of the boarding party climbed into neighboring compartments in the bilge and higher decks to drill more holes where their inner planking had already been weakened through normal wear. Once the holes were made, slender-figured dancers, acrobats, kite scouts, former aviators, and even a few noodle-armed scholars who wanted to contribute with their bodies as well as their minds, clambered into the space between the ribs in the ship's frame, where they slithered through the claustrophobic gap between the inner and outer planking. Their goal? Places below or near the waterline where the outer planking also felt particularly weak or rotten. Which truly is so scary to me. Again, I can't get over how brave all of these people are. Um, They install water cluster bombs at these locations. And then we go to the flashback with Thera talking to Razutana Pon, who is a scholar who feels that the the soldiers that have like taken over this area are being insulting and contemptuous and that they think they're better than everybody else and Thera is trying to be patient with this guy and he is throwing a fit over the fact that he's not being given the same privilege of deference that these like fucking commoners are is really the vibe you know he tries to compare himself and the way he thinks to like kuni and she's just laughing like oh my god if my dad could hear this fucking guy and he keeps interrupting her uh and saying like let me finish i guess she's interrupting him but like she's the fucking princess and he should really not have this attitude with her it's super disrespectful but eventually he convinces her to let him be part of the boarding party Well, when we go to his POV in the midst of all of this, he truly is not up for it. First of all, he has to pump water and he knows that that's part of the deal, but he it's like so much grosser and more disgusting than he ever thought it would be. So that's a shock. And then when they climb through the tube, he realizes he's claustrophobic. He's never been in this position before. So why would he know that? Like, honestly, that's how it happens for claustrophobia a lot of the time is that somebody just finds themselves in a situation that they have never been in and probably never will be again. So the sudden feeling is totally unfamiliar. I had this when I had to get an MRI and I was put into this like tube. You are your whole body is put into it. But as somebody who's heavy, it's tighter for me than it is for the average person. And it was a real struggle for me to like stay calm and breathe and just try because you have to stay stock still or else they have to start over. Um, so he gets stuck at one point because his hair bun gets like caught on something and they have to like shove him out and it gets it rips a lot of his hair out by the roots and then when he has to go between the inner and outer planking he is just like but there might be rats in there and one of the sailors is just like it's fine i'll do it and they are laughing at him and Razutana realizes that he has made a fucking fool of himself and he flees because he's embarrassed and he doesn't know what else to do. And it says, since I'm already in the upper decks, I might as well investigate the rest of the ship. And long story short, he finds himself in the room where they keep a Garinifin and he throws a bomb at it and then fucking runs away. I really cannot with this guy. I really truly can. It it doesn't seem immediately like this is a massive problem, but I kind like he has really given them away. I like I thought maybe structurally that this bomb going off the way that it does here where it wasn't planned, it's not under control, that maybe it might affect their ship being attached to the bottom somehow. It does not seem like that's the issue. It just seems like he has, uh, you know, tipped everybody above decks off on what the fuck is going on down here. And that's certainly bad enough. So yeah, he throws it and runs. 
And Radia is like, what is that noise? And everybody stops and goes, wait, what is this? And they start to hear the sound of distressed Garinifin. Toof grabbed a torch near the ladder leading down from the open hatch and ran toward the noise. Because that's his fucking girl down there. She is his Garinifin and he is about to handle his shit because he cares about her. And it is the the, the sweetest thing. I love it. Um, it's precious. So they head down Toof squinted against the bright light from the fire and peered into the gloom of the open space beyond. And his jaw dropped as a column of Dara barbarians emerged into the bay from a side passage. And below commander Tipo hears that explosion and is like, okay, <laughs> It is time to get the fuck out. They are going to know. And they give the signal. Tipo slams it um, three times against the nearest rib of the ship. And they. this is the signal. She handed the club back to Takfal. So everybody begins to come out. And Tipo says, I'll light the fuses as soon as the boarding party is safely back. Wait, said Tokval, have we planted enough bombs to sink the the ship? When you drilled us on this, we had planned for a lot more time. It can't be helped, said Tipo. Even the best made battle plans never survive an encounter with the enemy. We just have to hope that what we've done is enough. And Tokval says, okay, but how long does it take for them to go off? And she's like, it's for some of them, a couple minutes, like up to like three or four minutes. And he's like, okay, then they might find them and put them out. And Tipo is just like getting impatient here. Like we need to get out of here. You're acting like these things you're bringing up are not things we've considered. Of course we have. But what do you suggest? And it turns out that what Takwal suggests is we're going to go on the ship and fight them on their ship. That's what we're going to do. And he kind of gets a little bit in Tipo's face and is like, I know that you think that they're stupid and they're not going to notice the fuses. They're not stupid. They are, they've gotten here through the wall of storms and like subjugated half your country. Take them seriously, please. And take me seriously. Because I know you don't. I can see that you don't because I'm like from there. And you're going to pay for not like really giving them their due credit. Um, so he says, I'll go up and cause as much chaos as possible and fight off anyone trying to come down. And the longer I hold them off, the longer the bombs have to do their work. And the she, Tipo is like, you aren't supposed to do that. Thera specifically said you can't do that. And he's like, Thera said a lot of things. We planned a lot of things. Here we are. This is what's actually happening. I'm going to go do my thing. And I think if she were here and she really thought it through, she would know that this is the thing I should do. And he turns to everybody else and is like, who is coming with me? And a bunch of other Marines are like, yo, we're, we're, we're down. Let's go. And Tipo isn't even mad about it. Tipo looks around and realizes that like a lot of people are sort of into it. And it's like, okay, fine, go. So Naku The Thane, who was about to lose control of everything, is like, this is a really great distraction. Everybody completely forgot about mutinying against me. Now we have another issue. And yes, it's super dangerous. But also, I'm not about to just die at the hands of my own people. So that's a plus for me. And they are aware, because there's a Garinifin that is completely losing it, that they are in danger of their entire ship going up in flames. So they're trying to put that fire out. And then they they stumble across the Dara people who are on board. And I love that Naku completely loses his shit. He's one of the ones that figures out and starts running away with his arms flailing like a little kid. Oh, my God. So (laughs) ever since Boundless Pastures had begun to chase the Dara fleet, Naku had been sleeping poorly, haunted by the nightmares of barbarian warriors who rode on magical ships that could bypass the Wall of Storms. That these vague hunches were coming true was simply too much. I really love this. He just doesn't know how they did it. And he's like, this is clearly magic, which why wouldn't you think that? I mean, it almost is magic. (laughs) When science is advanced enough, it's essentially magic. Um, So then we go to Thera. 
And they are explaining to her what has happened and where is Tokval and the others that have gone with him. And Thera is super mad that he isn't listening to what she asked him to do. And the commander is saying, we've lit the fuses. We can't stay attached to them. We're going to get crushed under them as it sinks if we don't disengage. And the admiral says, you must honor the wishes of Prince Tokval and the other Marines who went with him. The best laid plan in the world is no match for unpredictable storms of reality. He tried to adapt to the winds and so should you. And everyone is agreeing with him. And Thera has a moment of like, are they giving me advice? Or are they giving me instructions? How much do they actually respect me and like my authority in this situation? And she asks, what will they do if I tell you to stay and not detach? And Admiral Rosso says, I will organize a new boarding party and lead it myself. You may be called princess now, but in my heart, you'll always be Empress Una, the rightful heir to your father. Dissolver of Sorrows will hold fast to this anchorage. Even if this ship is smashed to smithereens, I will stay here, clinging on to the city ship with my teeth and nails. So essentially, everybody is like, we will do literally whatever you want. Commander Thro says, uh, Emperor Ragan elevated me from a farmer's daughter to command an airship. To die for his daughter would not repay a tenth of the, the debt I owe him. Can you imagine being in this position and people just being like, if you tell me to die, I will die and be glad to do it. That is too much responsibility. I just... Mm -mm. I always talk about how like I'm a little power hungry and I am. I am. But then there's moments like this where I'm like, ooh, I could not handle this shit. <laughs> not at all. And Thera, for her part, because she is a fucking self-aware, intelligent woman, is like, am I mad because I really think my way is the best way and I'm pissed that he isn't believing in what I believe? Or am I mad because he's doing whatever and not listening to me and my pride is pricked over it? And she thinks about her mother who just rode roughshod, as she put it, over everything everyone else said to do versus her father who listened to people and changed his course. And she decides she's going to do what her dad did, which is the smart move. Does Gia get results? Sometimes. But if you want to rule and be loved, Gia can do what she does because she's behind the throne. If you're going to be up front and center, you can't be that person. That's not for the leader. That is for the leader's hand, essentially. Um, so, yeah, she says, all right, detach and get us the fuck out of here. And they are able to get out another thunderous crash, louder than any that had come before, and the ship shook from side to side like a quivering arrow. Report, shouted Thera. They dropped a large stone directly through the forecastle. Four sailors are dead, six wounded. The forecastle is flooded. We are losing buoyancy. So she says to surface now, and the deck begins to tilt, and with a booming eruption, Dissolver of Sorrows shot out of the sea, stern first, like some reverse breaching whale. Yikes. And just as she's about to be like, oh, thank God, there's this like huge cracking sound. And the captain gets this face and is like, okay, so they have uh, these giant slings that sent a stone and took our mast out. So we are basically a sitting duck right now. Um, and then we go to Takaval, who has one of the most amusing fights of these books. <laughs> Takaval is going up against Toof. And Toof recognizes that Takval is Liuku, even though he's not actually Liuku, he's Aegon, but they're from the same continent or whatever. And 
he says, what are you doing? You're Lyuku. And it says Takval should have been insulted. But his first reaction at being recognized was a raw burst of joy, a sense of familiarity and of being home. And I really appreciate this, like that it, it would be very convenient in this moment for him to be like, what the fuck did you say to me? And for that to fuel his rage. But the homesickness and the sort of appreciation feels a lot more human to me. And he engages Toof in conversation because he's just like, I really like talking to somebody in my own language. I don't know. I love this. I'm Takval and Aegon, actually. Oh, I'm Toof. It was so bizarre to make introductions in the middle of a pitched battle that for a moment, both men hesitated, unsure whether well met or it's an honor was in order. I don't know why I love these two. I love them. I just truly do. And he's like, why are you working with them? And Tokval's like, none of your goddamn business. And he's like, how many of you are there? And Tokval's like, there's a thousand of us, bitch. There's a million. Just, you know. And Toof is like, what is going on? And they get into it and they're pretty evenly matched. And they're both like, okay, this is going to take a minute. Um, unfortunately, Tokval's people are were all chosen to be able to fit in these small spaces. They were not chosen because they're fighters. So they're the exact type that the Liuku can just crush into fucking powder. And they are going down and Takval is aware of it. And Toof asks him, do you yield? And Takval says, LOL, no. You think you have the advantage of numbers? But if you're actually brave, you can fight us farther down in the ship where I have more people and we're ready for you. And he goes down into the fucking belly of the ship, leading Toof behind her, him. And that, like, Toof is just like, hmm, you know, it could be trap. I don't care. I'm doing it anyway. Radia is like, are you serious? He's like, yeah, no. Yeah, I am. I got to get to her. Like, my girl is down there. Um, So... Radia is like, we're never going to get there in time. This fire is too bad. Shit. Like, look at this smoke. Toof says we should break off and find her by ourselves. There are enough fighters to take care of the Dara barbarians and we have to focus on Tana. Suddenly, the passageway they were in buckled and the wooden walls groaned and Toof and Radia fell down. Powerful booms rattled their bones, even as they plugged up their ears. Like peals of thunder in the still looming wall of storms, the wall busters muffled detonations deep inside the thick planking and frame of the city ship shook every part of the vessel like a series of earthquakes. And that's where the chapter ended, ladies and gentlemen, which I think is really unfair. I don't appreciate being put in this position where I actually give a shit about Toof and his fucking Garinifin at this point. And now I have to see him get blown up and the ship begin to sink around him while his poor Garinifin sink. I just, that's really mean. And Kyle is the one who split these chapters up and told me where to stop reading. So Kyle, fuck you. Okay. Fuck you, Kyle. I'm mad at you. I'm mad at you. Okay. I want to know what happens right now. <sighs> Cold-blooded. Um, but yeah, this is so good. I just, these books are so much fun and they're so intricate. And like, I feel like I really only appreciate it when I go through it a second time. I'll listen to the audiobook or read the book. And so much of the technological aspect will wash over me because I'm just like, okay, I accept this. I want to know what happens and I keep going in a way that sort of discounts whatever that is. But when I come back and like recover, I appreciate a lot more how much it all works and hangs together because I am able to stop and enjoy the scenery a little bit more and it pays off. I love books that just get better. The more you reread them, you know, that's not every book, unfortunately, but some books are just, you go back and, and it'll be, sometimes it'll, it's a book that's got a lot of like small mysteries and you'll realize there were clues planted all over the place. Or it's something like this where, you know, 
there's machinery involved or there's like the fact that this was a distraction and I didn't pick up on it the first time. And you go back and now that you know that the way that this goes is much more satisfying in a way. So yeah, I'm into it. I'm into it and I am ready. So Miss T says, damn Kyle, that's cold. These books really respect the reader's intelligence. I think that's a really good way to put it. Yeah. Um, I feel like it's understandable why so many authors feel the need to like really spell things out. Um, but, and, and that's not to say that he isn't because Ken Liu is spelling things out and that's part of like why it works, but also he, he gets so intricate with it where he's just like, I know this might be too much, but like, is it though? And just like goes for it. You guys know I fucking love me some logistics, so I'm about it. All right, I got to wrap. I'm over time, but thank you again so much, Kyle, even though I hate you. Thank you, Miss T, for hanging out in the chat with me. Appreciate you. And until next time, toodaloo, motherfuckers. Spoiled Network Podcast. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.